Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Quick comedy, catchy songs, and lots of choreography. For Girls 5 Eva star Busy Phillips, it was quite a workout. This was a breakneck filming schedule. I have said this before and I'll say it again. This has been hands down my favorite acting job I've ever done in my life. My favorite TV show that I've ever done in my life. And I've loved other shows I've been on. And it is hands down the hardest one, that I I was more exhausted from this show than I've ever been before. I'm also older than I've ever been before. But (laughs) that's funny how that works. (laughs) I'm Michael Schneider, and on this bonus edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Girls 5 Eva stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsberry, Busy Phillips, and Paula Pell about their new Peacock comedy, including the show's catchy tunes. Later on, we chat with Chelsea Handler about her HBO Max stand-up special, Evolution. It's all next on a bonus edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Have you ever wanted the perfect girl to fit in your world? Well, don't make a wish because we're already real. Low-rise jeans with a one-tooth zipper. Eyebrows thin, bronzer thicker. Whale-tail peeking, ready for the weekend. Our eyes are all over you, boy. We are dream girlfriend. It's Friday's Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Michael Schneider, and that was Girls 5 Eva performing their classic hit, Dream Girlfriend. And by that, I mean Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsberry, Busy Phillips, and Paula Pell as the fictional 90s girl group who are going to be famous 5 Eva because forever's too short. The show starts when the group's hit song, Famous 5 Eva, gets sampled by a rapper. All of the 40-something women are at very different stages in their lives, but they wind up reuniting. The cast has had an extra special appreciation for the amount of work that went into writing the songs, most of which had lyrics by series creator Meredith Scardino and were composed by Jeff Richmond. Brillis also got involved in writing, most notably her character Don's I'm Afraid. I'm afraid that during high winds a stop sign will uproot and decapitate me. Or that I might thrive under Scientology I'm afraid that after I die Someone will have sex with my dead body And be like, not worth it I'm afraid I could raise a son Who'll get radicalized on Reddit Or that he'll back to the future And I'll think he's hot And I'm afraid That I'll accidentally text a pic of my vagina to my dad. The entire award circuit team, Danielle Terciano, Jazz, Tanke, and myself, hopped on the Zoom recently with the Girls 5 Eva cast because one interview's just too short. And we talked all about what made Girls 5 Eva a challenge to shoot during the pandemic, but a joy to watch. We began by asking what they remember of the first song they performed. 
<laughs> I think our first one was famous five Eva. Is that, is that, yeah. is that fair to say? Yeah. With the wonderful Jame Alsop as our choreographer and this wonderful music by Jeff Richmond and team. Um, Meredith Scardino, I, I know, put some lyrics in there as well. Um, it was just so fun and scary. Um, but what I loved the most about it was uh, kind of reclaiming that part of myself that was, um, oh my God, I'm wrong. Is that no, you're right? You're, yeah, you're no, but, the, but the beauty is, I think the first thing we did was the was the last one, the Fallon episode. So um, I think I think what's really interesting Dream, is that we Dream started was, we started oh, filming with our you know reprieve of of Famous Five Eva, and we right. ended filming of the show with the music video that was like you know our our original music video. Did you guys just realize that? I'm just realizing it. Well, we I, I thought you meant the the title the sequence. Title sequence. Yeah. We did the title sequence first before the Fallon thing, because I know because that That's was on so the sound true. stage. Here's the deal: is that we, <laughs> you guys, we this a while. This was a breakneck filming schedule. I have said this before and I'll say it again. This has been hands down my favorite acting job I've ever done in my life. My favorite TV show that I've ever done in my life. And I've loved other shows I've been on. And it is hands down the hardest one that I I was more exhausted from this show than I've ever been before. I'm also older than I've ever been before. But <laughs> that's funny how that works. <laughs> but we were like the the famous five of a title sequence. Renee was the first thing that we filmed, and I, I remember filmed the Fallon. That was my first day on the set. No, when we filmed the Fallon in the red dress for the pilot. No, I maybe I'm I must be crazy. I'm wrong. I, I just always assume I'm wrong. Until later, we were okay. always two drinks in. Memories are fuzzy, guys. <laughs> But it was always, it was always really, really, really fun. And, and, and we were always really, really glad that we could say they'll fix it in the edit. (laughs) Well, that was, I mean, the show wasn't just about the music and choreography. I was glad it wasn't just about the choreography. The choreography was fantastic, but I, that was my biggest challenge was just moving this, this, um, the seasoned arse just to move it around in a sort of hip hop flavor was not, not in my genetics. It just did not work. I, I did not grow up on, on dance, dance music like that because I was more, you know, eighties music. I danced a lot in the gay bars and stuff. We danced, but we didn't, we kind of jumped around. We didn't do like the choreography Mm. of actually moving your butt in a certain way. Writing your name with your butt was not what I grew I up just, learning. I just like have, oh, I obviously have never done a musical period. That's the end of the sentence. Um, but uh, I've never done a musical television show. And I don't know how other musical TV shows, like I don't know how Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist works and how much rehearsal time they do right. and how much rehearsal they get together. But because of COVID and sort of the restrictions put in place, safety restrictions to keep all of us and the crew safe, which thank God not, you know, we did. Um, a lot of times we didn't get like a full dance rehearsal all together. Um, and, and we were masked and we would have to wear masks trying to dance and that, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I think studies have been done that, um, the masks actually affect, the part of your brain that remembers choreography. So <laughs> I'm almost positive that that's a thing. And, uh, and so like, I remember, and then they would send us James, uh, who's our incredible choreographer and had such wonderful assistance trying to assist us, um, would send us files of the dances. And, but I, re- I was traumatized by that first experience, the, music video because I had for some reason only learned the first part and I didn't know that the second part had been emailed to me and I never saw it. And so then that's why still when I watch it, I cringe and I posted something the other day where everybody's hands on hips and I'm like hands down and I'm like, I have this crazy face. I missed Um, the memo. Yeah, I really missed it. But but so that was a that was a chat that was one of the challenges of of getting through the performances. 
Um, in some way, she got it. But in some way, doesn't that almost lend itself to the roles? Because these are women who haven't been in the spotlight. They haven't been on the stage. So it's okay if they're not perfect. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, that's what we kept saying is, is it that we liked it had a little bit of ragtaggery to it, that it just, it felt, it just felt a little bit like we're always just pulling it off. Like <laughs> just in that four stars sort of way. Thank you, Sarah Bareilles' beautiful song. <laughs> I, I I grew up, you know, since I was little, in, you know, on a play date in some cousin's room trying to do choreography to Donna Summer. So I've been practicing my whole life for this. And I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> when they let my old ass up on that show. And I mean, I, I think the beauty of it was the amount of production around us in that first uh, five Eva, whether it was a music video or whatever, the amount of cameras and the cool like video backdrop. I mean, I never got to be in a music video in my life. The fact that I get to do it now with these women, like I was scared, but I was like, there was a fan blowing my wig back. It was amazing. Um, I, I was, I was living my dream and I, I just, I was grateful that it's never too late. <laughs> I, I just wanted to go back to what you said about it or moving at a breakneck speed, like for rehearsals, like how much time did you have to prep for those numbers? Just Days, hours. I mean, sometimes it would be you know, 30 minutes. It would be like really fast. We'd get, you know, not the, the bigger numbers, they would be, you know, have mercy on us and give us a little bit more time. But, you know, it, it really is. It's so funny, even for a music show. I did, a, I did a music show last year called Little Voice or two years ago now. And it's a, it was a music show about music and the music got the least amount of time from anything. And I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my brain around. I'm like, we know this is a music show. Right. And we didn't have rehearsal time. We didn't have, it just, that's kind of the, the, the way of the beast of television, I think. So thankfully we're like good on our feet for the most part. We were all came in with really the attitude of like, okay, we're just gonna, we're gonna make it work. We're gonna make it as good as we can possibly make it with the tools we have and, you know, wonderful support. But there was so much going on at every given moment. So sometimes it was just. One thing that I had forgotten about in, since it had been so long since, I mean, Renee and I did co-op and that was a fast and furious, crazy learning of all those Sondheim lyrics, type lyrics, and we pulled it off, but for sure, but it felt like that old theater feeling of like, like we don't have enough time and oh my God, and then you rehearse it together. And one thing that I had forgotten about is the beauty of that alchemy of when you finally get to do it together. Mm -hmm. So we would learn it separately per COVID and then we'd get on the set and they'd say, okay, if you guys want to go off and rehearse this with the choreographer and, and with music and we do it. And, you know, you didn't need that many times to really start feeling like you were falling into those grooves of like, oh, now we're all we're all getting it together. And, and it's a running joke with us that at one point Renee turned to us very, very, very much like Wiki, her character, but also very much herself going, we are nailing this. We are killing it. And we were like so hard because we, we kind of did start to get cocky the way we could throw it together. And um, I steal it from, um, we were, deluded by all of the people on set from, you know, Meredith to, you know, every director, all of the wonderful people on the crew, no matter what we were giving them in front of the camera, as soon as they say cut, they'd be like, good job guys. We'd be like, yeah, right. Good job. But I mean, I think there's something about being, you know, cheered on like that, that makes you feel, you know, you, you need, as Dawn, Sarah's character says, we need to be a bit delusional um, to achieve anything in this world. And, uh, and so it was fun to, it was fun to do that. Well, I think as much as these are parodies of, of songs from that era, these are, these are bops. Like, yeah, they're bangers. Really yeah. good songs. Like, how often do you, are you guys listening to this soundtrack a lot? Do you have the songs in your head constantly? Because I find myself like now these songs will not leave my head. Yeah, I'll just so. find myself singing one of them and I'll go, oh my God, I was just singing the chorus to this. Or I was just, and when we did five stars, four stars, um, 
I, I really sang that for a long time, like the earworm of it, because Sarah just knows how to write that kind of song that just keeps coming back around where you, you don't even realize you're singing it. But Sarah, yeah. did you also write the tune for uh, Afraid? I'm Afraid, which is Yeah, I wrote the music. Afraid is, my, afraid is like my jam. Yeah. I like legitimately will just be walking around my house being like, I'm afraid my daughter hates uh. me. <laughs> like I make up my own lyrics. Like, yeah, the brilliance of using that hook the yeah. da, 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 just the the intervals of that that make me like choke up the brilliance of using that in the in the um score in the uh, finale is just I, know. Uh, I just all of a sudden was like wait I know that song wait what's that song and we were just like oh my god that's the silly one that's so ridiculous but it's also right now this music makes us feel as my niece always says heart itch like the mm-hmm. itch itch itching in your heart they, uh, I feel like when, when we, you know, we're, we're a part of the show, so we have a certain kind of awareness of it, but there's always surprises when we see it. And one of my, my favorite surprises was the way they feature the music in the, uh, in the outro of each episode, mm-hmm. the way that every single episode they feature a song at the end was such a brilliant idea and, uh, just kind of is a testament to, um, their awareness of what some of the unique strengths are of the show. And, and I don't think they were in particular. Sorry. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to, he shout him out, lift him up. Whole, and the whole music team, which yeah. worked so hard, so, so hard. Jack and on. Like there was just a really, and Meredith writing those lyrics and it was, there was something like 37 songs in the series. It's it's like a crazy number or something. Also to um, be able to take a little bit of a song that's funny in a comedy, I know as a writer, like you, you might write a little blurb that's one little moment that's funny musically, but to be able to write that into a full song to put on an album, which they did with like nine songs is really incredible. And Sarah. And Sarah, both. And Sarah. Oh. So what was... What was your most enjoyable throwback performance to do? Like, I know this is like asking your favorite so child. Hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to say, I it, it is hard to say because I loved every single minute of performing with them. Um, I also loved um, just seeing, you know, seeing the ones I wasn't in, you know, like seeing uh, the New York Lonely Boy, seeing, you know, all of Busy's, you know, Summer's little music video, you know, snippets. But um, uh, it was such a gift to me that they took the time to shoot our full music video of uh, Famous Five Eva. It was it was actually the last thing we shot. And I am right about that. It was the very very last thing we did. And Jeff also directed the video. And um, I think he did such a beautiful job of, you know, merging you know who we were then with who we are now and and that and like this and the idea that women can have a similar kind of joy together whether they're 20 or 40 it that just it just comes out so beautifully in that music video so filming that um after you know when we were when we were about to say goodbye to each other from season one was like a gift And the props department gave us a little real champagne, which we won't ever tell who. <laughs> but we were like, oh, you got, we, we like this uh, sparkling grape juice. Do you have anything that's actually authentically uh, an alcoholic beverage? <laughs> Do you guys find that when you're, you're performing in the music sequences, you're channeling or, in, or inspired by something different than when you're performing as the character in a scene? Well, it's hard for, it was hard for me to figure out where the, where Summer's affectations would start and end and where she allowed it to drop. And, and that is particularly true in the singing because it's, you know, it's like, people with English accents who don't have English accents when they sing or people with American accents who then have English accents when they sing. (laughs) And, uh, and so, you know, a little bit, I tried to, I was trying to figure out because Summer has this thing that she puts on herself and the voice and all of it um, when she's performing, does, 
does that still hold? And at a certain point, Jeff was like, I think it's just fun if you just like really sing well. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, it probably is just probably better if I just really sing well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, an experiment where you sing well. <laughs> Why don't we just do the thing where you don't sing like your character and you just like actually sing? Great. Okay, good. Got it. Mine was a little tricky because I obviously am not playing myself as they were all able to mm. play their young selves. So, but I oftentimes couldn't see what Erica was doing, you know, as me young, and she wasn't seeing necessarily what I was doing as an older person. So it was, it was a little bit uh, tricky to, but I remember when we did dream girlfriends for the, for the mall performance, like I, I remember just trying, especially cause I was the opener of like, have you ever wanted and like the, trying to like remember in Gloria's little history, like, did she, you know, at, at that time, did she love to like really pour on the sex, even though she wasn't really nailing it. Um, <laughs> But uh, that was an interesting thing to kind of wrap my brain around. Sometimes it kind of broke my brain if I thought about it too much because I didn't want to, I, di- I didn't want to get into too many curly cues. I just wanted to think like now she's trying to get back to that. And when you watch these revivals of these boy and girl groups, and you watch the especially the boy groups when they get out there and they're trying to really have swag and everything, it's just fun to watch them now. Where you're like, you have a thirty year old son, you know. <laughs> And they're really thrusting and you're like, gross. I've seen your son on a talk show. You're, you're a, you're an older man. (laughs) So another fun thing is, uh, so, so when you have Tina Fey dressed as Dolly Parton, or you have Stephen Colbert as Alf music, or even Andrew Rannells, just, you know, being Andrew Rannells, like like, (laughs) your guests. Like did some like crazy stuff. Uh, how, how do you sort of like not break? How how do, what is that like to sort of be confronted with these amazing uh, you know comedians just being ridiculous right in front of your face, and you still need to you know do your scene? We broke. <laughs> you just laugh. We broke and we broke a lot, and yeah, and we weren't the only ones that broke. The, I mean, that's how we knew the show was really special because you know that crew, um, they're a family. They've been they've been around since Thirty Rock, and they broke. They laughed, um, and that really was encouraging to us because it was just it was really funny. And every everybody that came contributed something really unique, special, and surprising. And I think too, as I'm thinking of it in in this moment is like, I actually think that's something that is so special about Meredith and Tina and Jeff, the atmosphere that is created and the, the tone with which they choose to make their shows is very buoyant. It's like they're, you don't like call action and then everybody gets real serious. It's like, there's a, there's a buoyancy about the process that I think really encourages and invites creativity and curiosity and a playfulness about it. So it didn't feel like you were, I mean, you knew everybody wants to get the shot and be able to go home eventually, but there was like, you know, a sense of if we're not having fun making this, then we're doing it wrong. We also got the chance to work with Kimmy Gatewood for two episodes in a row. And she's the best laugher in the biz. She directed two, all of our directors did like two episodes back to back per COVID. So we sort of were with them for a chunk of time, which is really nice. And I really missed Kimmy laughing hysterically behind the monitor. Um, but she was just so free with the laughter where I was like, is that, are we going to have to ADR that? But she's like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, it's like, it just made all of us feel, I think, excited about what we were doing. I feel like sometimes you, you perform or, or even as a writer, you, you write on a project where you feel like you're, you're constantly auditioning. You're constantly still trying to win people over. And I feel like when Tina and Meredith and Jeff and all of them, when they do something in Robert, it's like they already have done all that work. They've done all the work of who they think is going to do it. And they've given that trust over and they, they're going to enjoy watching it. It's not like a feeling like every time you're doing it to, you know, doing something, you're like, I hope they like that. I hope, I hope they're not sorry. 
that I'm doing this. It just feels very safe in a really exciting way. Safe and exciting. I was going to say though, I do feel like, I know I felt, especially in the first couple episodes, like, am I doing, what am I doing? Like, (laughs) I've never felt that busy ever in my life. (laughs) Paul of hell. And, you know, but I, yeah, I mean, I feel like we all had that conversation at one point or another, especially in the first, in the first few episode. Yeah. And the fun part is when there were actors that came on later. So they were in their first few. I remember the first day Andrew Reynolds came on the show. I was, uh, we were in the same set. I was shooting Wiki's world um, when he was there and he came out and he said, he I was like, hi. And he was like, um, come over here. He was like, um, and he moves the blonde wig out of the way. What is the tone? <laughs> <laughs> He was like, can you tell me what is the truth? I just burst out laughing. I was like, I don't really know. I don't really know yet. Third and grounded. Yeah, just third and grounded at the same time. Just commit, commit. We got you. We got you. And And what was, yeah, like what was also so great though is that I feel like we were allowed to do many different versions of the scenes. Like we would do super serious grounded one yeah. yes and then we would do really small ones and that the andrew thing renee that you just said reminded me when we did that scene toward the end of the series you know in the crabitat um we did you guys we did some takes where we were both like (laughs) tears streaming down our faces like sobbing like crazy really emotional right dramatic interpretations of the Krabitat scene but you know that was like the joy of figuring it out and where it where it all indulge us and then then they'll they'll pick at the end what the tone is and and I think they uh they nailed it they nailed it yeah, so when, when you all watched the, when you all watched the show, it was sort of your first time, sort of like understanding. Okay, this is what we were doing all these months. Definitely, because you just don't see you. You know, this was such a strange year to shoot something because you just you don't sit around and watch other people's scenes. I didn't see any of yeah. when I got to sit and watch episodes. It was such a thrill to watch my fellow actors do their scenes because we hadn't ever been able to, I would love to sit and watch other people shoot a scene or watch it on the monitor, or, you know, watch it later in a clip or whatever. We didn't have that really. So it was, it was like watching it, you know, with, without all that, it was so fun. But I don't care this year. (laughs) I just want to go back to Mike's question about the guest stars for a second, because this is very nitty gritty. But Renee, was there anything that was left on the cutting room floor with you and Will that was like a reference to Rent? (laughs) Oh, my God. It was such I was so excited when I found out it was him, Will Chase. Um, You know, we fell in love on Broadway. Um, in in rent and uh, and to sit next to him and be ridiculous and one of my favorite moments ever shooting was American Gladiator singer I can't even say it out loud without laughing um, and to sit next to him after you know um, having been on the stage and feeling like a contestant on American Gladiator singer trying to you know close rent um, to sit there with like a big you know drink and a huge straw and just judge people was such a gift um, I don't know that we. Actually Actually, um, I don't know that we did any rent references, but I know how good it felt to work for this crew. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's really beautiful about Tina and Jeff and Meredith and and shooting a show in New York City is that they're gonna they're gonna cast it up with a lot of theater actors mm-hmm. and uh, and you know and we need and theater actors we need we need people that believe in us to do you know we 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 love it when people from different mediums come in and recognize oh theater actors can be funny oh theater actors can you know do all of these things and uh yeah and i think you know they're they're fans i i think you know this this cr- team of producers are fans of a lot of theater actors that other people are not as aware of and they are they're showing us off and it's pretty pretty beautiful i want to go sorry go ahead busy i was gonna say also no one was allowed to fly in from la but (laughs) there was also that but you know (laughs) i wanted to just like go back to like 
what what was the first pitch like what were you told about the show let's just go all the way back and how did they describe it I was just told it was about a 90s girl group that was trying to make a comeback and I was a lesbian dentist (laughs) and that's all I needed to know yeah I same. I was just, Tina said on the phone, yeah, we're just, we're doing this show. You know, Meredith from Kimmy. I was like, yeah, she's amazing. She, she did the show. We're doing like just eight episodes because of COVID nineties uh, girl group. And they're trying to make a comeback in their, in their forties, um, you know, present day, they get sampled by a guy and and it, there's flashbacks too. And Jeff's doing the music. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's Sarah Bareilles and Renee Elise Goldsberry are, are attached. I'm like, uh, 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 uh. then I passed out when I came to on set. <laughs> I don't know. I remember Tina said um she's like the the rhythm of it if I if I were if she were to describe the rhythm or the tone of it a little bit was like 30 rock with a slightly warmer heart. Oh and I really and I loved that description. Okay. I love the I love the pace and the cadence and the humor of 30 rock. And then it just made me excited to do something that that, that was like a little bit warm and fuzzy, which I got excited about. I just, since I'm sitting at my computer, pulled up my audition, my my email with the pitch of the show. And it's just like what goes out to actors with the script and the description of Wiki. And I'd love to read it for you. <laughs> it says, uh, late 30s, mid 40s, uh, female, any ethnicity, full of confidence, ego, and glamour. She was the big pipe Beyonce wannabe diva of the short-lived 90s girl group Girls 5 Eva and left the group to pursue an ill-fated solo career. Her social media portrays a glamorous jet set lifestyle but it doesn't tell the whole story uh in fact she needs this group as much or more than the others do i just love that i love that Uh, i loved it loved it loved it and the and what was even better than that was the pilot the pilot i mean just their to me their calling card i mean as as you know, as hard as it would ever be to turn down, you know, Meredith and Robert Carlick and, and Tina Fey, the the fact that they could just, you know, throw a script in your face that's that funny, no one would, no one could walk away from that. I found Wiki so heartbreaking in the pilot because of the fact that she did go on to have more. She was on Cribs and she was like her own solo, that it was that extra amount. Oh, yeah. We fell... We, we went up a fell. little bit and we fell, but she fell kind of twice. She fell. I mean, I think the, the distance of how far she fell flat, uh, it's, it's, um, to me, it makes, let's make, what makes her relatable is, um, I, I just can't imagine having had that much and having lost it because of the way you handled it, you know, and then still having the audacity to ask again. That's just yeah. so genius to me. Hey, do you know anyone who's like, you know, do you guys know anyone who's like was gonna be the next big thing and then ruined it for themselves? Oh gosh, I feel like they this uh, most of the names I had to Google honestly in the uh-huh. scripts they gave us were people like that. They just they did such great research. Remember, I mean, like that we would always be referencing people that I'd be like, who? Oh yeah, <laughs> they did such a good job going across entertainment to find these people and reference them. Um, I. I you know, I think it's funny because I'm glad I get to be a part of a a show about a one hit wonder at the time in my life where I no longer think that's a bad thing to have happened to somebody. You know what I mean? Like when you're a kid, they say one hit wonder, ha ha ha, what a joke. And then when you get, you know, past a certain age, you're like, if I could only get one hit, Lord, please. You know what I'm saying? I I will ride that one hit so hard. Just give me one before it's over, just one, you know? And I just feel, um, I, I mean, I'm at that stage in my life. So um, I, yeah, when I put my my own my own success in girl groups up to Girls 5 Eva, they did pretty good, you know? And um, I just, I you know, to give them a second chance, it's kind of like what the world needs, you know? Us, we had so much, we lost so much. We need a second chance. I have so many, I've had so many experiences in the music industry of people that were, you're like, oh boy, they really have a moment. And it's, it speaks to sort of the fickle nature of our consumer culture and that we get bored of people really quickly and we love something so much. And then all of a sudden where'd they go and having encountered the humans behind that so many times, I always realized the stories 
always more complicated than you think it is. And it's never really kind of what it looks like on the outside anyway, where I'm like, you know, doing a radio show with the Goo Goo Dolls and have all these ideas about what their life feels like to them. And I'm like, oh, y'all are just like pretty happy, adjusted, making a little, like just, you know, it's just, it's never quite what we think it is, which I think is part of what's miraculous about life. There's a lot of getting behind the curtain that I think in the show we do, but also we as people at our point in show business, as people that have written and and performed and been singers and like songwriters, it's like we really know a lot of what's behind the curtain now. So we operate from that place of very very well-honed bullshit detector now. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering how much uh, VH1 behind the music uh, old episodes you, you all went back and, and watched and and. I didn't need. I didn't need to. I have them all memorized. That was like my that was my favorite show for a while. Oh, I used to love watching it. So I assume the hope. I mean, as as the pandemic, uh, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, we sort of return to normalcy. Uh, you know, season two, you'll be able to do more. When are we going to have a Girls Five Eva tour? Oh. Um, right. Busy. Go ahead. Give them your pitch. Give them your pitch. Hey, my pitch is a mall tour. <laughs> Love it. I would like to do a mall tour. And not the new fancy outdoor bullshit malls that have a train that are really pretty and a fancy. We want to like revive indoor tours. I mean, indoor Tomorrow, malls. Tomorrow, we want Orange Julius. Yes. Right. The, the sad malls that only have two or three stores that are still open and there are wings that are shut down and dark. Like, yeah. That, that's we want those. Like, absolutely. There's I, the Lens Crafters that's no longer one hour. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> like 14 days to get your lenses. Right, they, right. Have to, they have to send it off to Amazon. I mean, I'm laughing, but that is my lens crafter. So if you guys want to just come to my mall, you are welcome to come to my mall. I so, how many times I've gone to a lens crafters and been like, well, no, I, I, it's an hour, right? I, I'll, I'll come back in an hour. And they're nope. like, well, Weeks. no. Weeks, nope. Bella. Not anymore. Right. Now they're just lens crafter. There's no longer the S at the end. They, they, it's, it's, they've slowed things down a little bit. There's one guy from five stores. Yeah. I'm here for the in, inside mall tour. Totally. But, but speaking but, of a season two, because at the end of season one, there's a line about, I think Ashley faked her death. Was there a reason given for you guys when you heard that line? Did, did anyone say like, this is what we would do if we could with this character? Or was that just okay, like, we, we're going to throw it out yeah, there and deal with it later? It was like many lines. We were so delighted by the idea that that maybe she's not dead. That that brought us so much joy. And also, if I wasn't in the show, if I was watching the show, that would be something that I would be like, oh, bring it. Like, I can't wait to find out where yeah, the hell she's been. Do, or do we become, like, are we like Jessica Fletcher's next season? Or <laughs> like, all them? You know what I mean? Like, I just, to me, the possibility of the show just taking such a wild left turn with that line was so delightful and it was an alt there were other lines that were not that line but they but they all they all basically uh, were about her death and and the intrigue behind it and whether it was real or that it was real and maybe she you know got murdered like all different types of things but I just love the idea that that and you know Gloria's character is always wanting to to find people on an Amber alert and punch them through, pull them through their windshield. So I think she'll probably be heading up. And I played a Jessica Fletcher character last year. Yeah. show. So I, I probably would think Gloria would take the lead on, on getting some of the Intel about and who, it. What producer worth their salt would have had Ashley park that close to us and not tease that she would come back. Come on. Right. Right. She's, a, she's a star. <laughs> season two girls five ever moves to east town and starts solving <laughs> four times the, the, the crossover that will happen I got it. oh. oh mike's put it out there put it yeah out. i mean i have to say like we're all patiently awaiting word on what the next year of our lives might look like in terms of girls five ever and i have said before that part of the reason why i didn't want to 
be an actor anymore was because of the heartbreak that it sort of inevitably has always brought me. And I will say that this is actually, actually for real, for real, the first job I've ever had that the heartbreak will have been worth it no matter what. Like I, you know, like I, I'm so, I really, really hope that, that Peacock sees things the way that we all see them on, in, on this, on this zoom. Um, and I hope we get to do many, many more episodes, but um, I'll cry for weeks, but it will have been worth it. <laughs> That's too sad. Renee is always so positive and I'm like, I'm Debbie. I am the Debbie Downer, Paula. I'm the Debbie Downer. There's always one in the group. It's me. <laughs> it's why it resonated. Everyone has a Debbie Downer in their workplace. Did you know it was me? No. <laughs> Not a Debbie Downer. <laughs> so, so sincere. We, no. we always just pass the baton. I, fe- I feel like I'm always the one that, te- we have a little text chain, and I always feel like I'm the one that texts, ev- texts everyone and is like, well... I've just had an adventure. (laughs) Always some very sad pet thing or there's always something going on. So everyone has a little Debbie Downer in them, I think. Okay, thanks, Paula. I feel better now. (laughs) Well, to to paraphrase 30 Rock, actually, I do hope they peacock comedy. And (laughs) Like? In this case, if they do peacock comedy, then we will see more Girls 5 ever. So yeah. Um, congrats, all of you. This is, I mean, what an amazing like show to come out and and uh, you know joyful show for for all of us to watch. You know, during these times that we're still sort of you know we're we're at home, we're we're kind of adjusting to life. And it's so so nice to have a, a joyful show like Girls Five ever for for all of us to enjoy. So so thank you so much, all of you. Thank you. It was pure joy to do, and we're so glad you you're enjoying it. That's Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsberry, Busy Phillips, and Paula Pell, stars of Girls 5 Eva, now streaming on Peacock. And after the break, Chelsea Handler returns to the stand-up stage. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Variety's Janelle Riley spoke with Chelsea Handler recently to discuss Evolution, her first stand-up special in six years. The special, now streaming on HBO Max, shows her at her most vulnerable. And in the spirit of her new podcast, Dear Chelsea, she gives Janelle advice on dating and karma. They began by discussing how this was her return to the stage after a long hiatus. Yeah, it was my first stand-up tour, my first special, um, and it felt really great to actually do something that had so much meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. it with, with regard to my own stand-up experience, I felt like I was always just kind of getting on stage and telling funny stories or telling funny jokes without any real depth, you know, it was just to get to the next laugh, to get to the next laugh. So when I did get sick of stand up and I was burnt out, it was because of that. It was because I didn't feel like I was putting forth the effort to really come up with something that was more unique than, than anything I had done in the past. So I wanted to wait until I had something, uh, important to say. So you were burned out. It's safe to say that. Oh, yes. <laughs> Many times in my life. I'm the queen of burning myself out. So, I mean, I, I, I agree, but I read a lot of the reviews or the, you know, interviews for the show that said that this is you at your most vulnerable. Um, and I guess you would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yes. I had never shown or even thought that I would ever show something like that, you know, in that medium, in that format. And when I saw, um, you know, when I saw uh, shoot, I'm forgetting her name right now. The comedian who came, the Australian comic comedian. Hannah Gatsby? Hannah Gatsby, sorry. Yes. Thank you. 
when I saw her special and I, when I saw what she did in that special, I thought, oh, I have like, I have, I can relate to that. I have a story that I want to tell. Not that story, but a different story. And I thought, oh, if there's a way to do this, you know, within this medium, she just showed me the kind of, you know, the way to do it. And I thought, okay, let me just put my own spin on this and, and work that out. And it's, it's just so challenging as a comic to be on stage and to not hear laughter, right? Oh yeah. To, to sit there with the silence and to work the silence and to allow the silence, which is kind of my metaphor for life. And my whole experience with therapy is just shut up and listen and don't say anything. Just sit with the emotion, sit with the feeling. Um, so that was a real exercise. You know, it's hard to be up there because you're used to getting a laugh every mm-hmm. 30 seconds. You know, every, I may, I may think my agent had clocked it and measured. He goes, you're getting a laugh every 30 seconds for 45 minutes. You have earned the right to sit still and tell your story for five minutes. You've earned that. And I'm like, five minutes? Is that, you know, like, so it was a, it was a work in progress for a long time to really get comfortable with that. I would be sitting there thinking five minutes, that's 10 laughs I'm missing, you know, doing the math. Did it take, I mean, when did you finally get comfortable with it or, or are you fully comfortable with it? I just kept doing it over and over again, you know, and I kind of just tried to stretch it each time. And cause I wanted it to be authentic. I didn't want anything to be put on. I don't want their, you know, and sometimes I would really feel it. And sometimes I wouldn't get emotional. I would just, I would be in the moment and nothing would come up and that was fine too. I never put pressure on myself to have any sort of sense of, you know, false emotion or anything like that. I just wanted to be with my own material in a way that I wasn't, you know, that's not a way I'm used to thinking about comedy or stand up. Uh, It's interesting to me that you mentioned Hannah Gadsby and how that show sort of showed you that you could do something else because clearly, I mean, obviously you've paved the way for so many female comics. And now I, I feel like if I go to a comedy club, I see more women than men, but I'm guessing that wasn't the case when you started out. No, there were always a lot of women, but we were split up, you know, and we were, they kind of pit you against each other. So I was, you know, when I started my career and that was something that I saw right away, like, why are we not you know, befriending each other. When I got my show, it was all about having my friends on and having girls on. You know, if you're a girl, then your natural predilection is to be around other women. And so it, it was kind of this, there were definitely lots of girls around, but we weren't on the same shows all the time. You know, we had to have shows that were called like pretty funny ladies or all girls tonight, you know, those kinds of things. And, and they just made you cringe at the time because you realize, you know, what you're saying is like, you have to tell women, you have to not only say women are performing, but yes, they're going to be funny in the title. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a male comedy lineup, nobody's saying pretty funny guys. Do you think that uh, things have shifted significantly in recent years? I, I mean, I think we probably still have a long ways to go, but it's, I'm hoping it's gotten better. Yeah, I think just the conversation and the acknowledgement, you know, I think, of course, things have gotten better. We do have mm-hmm. a long way to go, uh, but there's really... I think there's a lot of benefit in, in acknowledging how far we've come and that people are uh, woke to the idea that comedy is not a male game. Just like mm-hmm. everything else in this world, you, it does not belong to men. It belongs to all of us. And it's up to us to go out and, you know, and go out and get it. But it's now it's a more receptive audience and people understand that women can be funny and powerful and all of the things that we've attributed to men for so long. Uh, Yeah, people are getting the message, you know, loudly and clearly, I think. I mean, speaking of woke, uh, how do you feel comedy has sort of changed over the years? Because I know there are some people who are really worried about, quote unquote, cancel culture Um, or what other people might call accountability culture. Um, You know, are there jokes you feel like you you wouldn't tell now that maybe you did back in the day or even just like, you know, um, if ever I write something fictional, my family always assumes that I'm writing about them and I cannot convince them that I'm not. So I can only imagine with being as open and honest as you are, you know, that's, that's something that people who know you have to get used to. I know my, my family is always just like, can you not tell this story? I'm like, you don't get a say in what I reveal. Uh, as far as, 
things you can say and things you can't say. Yes, of course, there are things that I have said that I would never say now. And I think everyone that applies to everyone. And that's what an evolution is all about. It's about learning and growing and doing better when you know better. And also, it's a real nice challenge to not be able to make fun of a whole group of things that we've all gotten way too comfortable making Mm -hmm. fun of. You know, I think comedy always starts with yourself. It's the self-deprecation. It's taking the humor and taking kind of the piss out of yourself and starting from there rather than, uh, you know, talking about everybody else anyway. Uh, so now, I mean, now that we're done making fun of brown and black people, it's like, it's great. Let's focus on white people, specifically white men. Let's get that party started because we have a lot to say and, you know, and they have a lot to learn. So you just kind of refocus your attention. And if you're a white man, I would capitalize on that too. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's going to be an endless source of entertainment uh, coming from that topic. So we're, we're set for the next few years. <laughs> yeah, except for, yeah, probably the next decade or so, because it doesn't seem like they're getting the information as quickly as we're giving it out. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's, there's a big repetitive cycle of us saying, Hey guys, we want you to be better. Here are the tools to do better. What's the problem? I had to repeat myself for the third time to a friend yesterday. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, why do I have to keep telling you this? And he's like, you know, he said, you know, it takes me four times to actually log something that you're saying. Like, he's like, I'll get it on the fourth time. Yeah. But when we're mansplained to, we're supposed to get it on the first time. It's like, we chewed you out about 30 seconds ago. So we're not listening at all anymore. (laughs) Um, something else that's obviously fascinating about evolution is you shot it in a pandemic. Was that, I mean, did you start planning it while the pandemic was already happening or was it something you'd been working on and then, you know, realized we, we sort of needed it? Well, I had sold it. I sold it to HBO Max, I think in the summertime, right before or September, October, November, December, probably. Oh, I think it was November, December. I'd sold it. So we were going to go, I was just going to set up, uh, tour dates to practice it, right? I was going to do about 20 or 30 more practice sets of it before I filmed it. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and I saw, watched what was happening with New York. And it looked to me like New York was going to somewhat open up in the summertime. Mm. And I didn't feel the need to have this in a huge theater with thousands of people. If I couldn't, I just thought this is something that needs to, I want to do now. It's fresh in my repertoire. This is something that I feel right now. And I also wanted to produce something and contribute something during the time of the pandemic that was joyful and humane. And that reminded us that we're all kind of together, you know, we're all kind of in this together. And so going home to New Jersey was meaningful for that reason. And also it was just so humbling for me, you know, I've had a lot of success and I had to go and work out in comedy clubs. I had to work the set out in Rhode Island and in New Jersey and in, in front of pe- like a hundred drunk people in a comedy club that I, ha- I hadn't been in a comedy club in you know, six years. I hadn't been, or in 10 years probably, because I had been doing theaters and arenas and all of that. So for me, it was a very necessary, very humbling experience to kind of put my head down and go, I'll do whatever it takes to get to the place where I can put this out there. And HBO Max was just so, so supportive of whatever I wanted to do that we made it happen. And, uh, you know, I think with comedy, you can get hung up on so many things as the performer. You're getting so hung up on the audience and the size of the audience and the location. And I really just felt so strongly about the show itself that I knew it didn't matter where, when, or how. It was just a matter of me being in the right frame of mind and being completely focused on this, um, which I was. And it was a huge advantage also to have this be my, you know, I've kind of taken this new work ethos um, in the last few years to do one thing at a time instead Mm. of to juggle several things at a time, which I've also done. And it yields less quality results. So I really have been focusing on finding a project and doing, putting all my effort towards that and then I just feel like the result is so much uh, at, at, at such a different level. What was it like to do those shows in the pandemic? Because I'm I'm betting for a lot of people, this was their first time 
out in a public place, definitely probably their first, definitely probably their first time, uh, you know, seeing stand up or seeing some sort of a live show. I just, you, you can kind of feel the atmosphere on the special, but I'm just wondering from you, if you could, you could feel it on that stage. It's, you know, it's appreciation and gratitude and also just like the joy of being out. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. That night it was in, it was, there was definitely a moment happening and it felt so right. You know, it felt like everything was aligning in the right way. And I think when you work really hard at something, you know, at a certain point, you do have to let all of the nervous stuff go. You just can't control everything. All you can control is your performance and your connection to the material. And for me, the connection to the material was so important because I hadn't done stand up like that before, being so connected, being so present, being so mindful of my opportunity and being mindful of other people's experience, especially in the middle of a pandemic coming out and seeing me perform, it was emotional in that regard. And it was kind of buoying in many respects. The shows leading up to that, where I was, you know, in basically strip clubs performing my my set, getting it ready with people who were out for the first time and just wasted, you know, in the first 10 minutes, I was just like, oh my God, there were girls passed out on tables. And I'm doing, you know, I'm telling a narrative. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's hard not to let that stuff get in your head and just know that you've got the set, you've got the material. It's about timing and tinkering and and not making big changes, you know, at the last minute because of a reaction or because of an audience member or something like that. You have to have a lot of confidence in your own material. Do you think going forward that this is going to be the way you're going to do all your shows or just going to be a little mix and match of what you've done in the past? No, I think from now on, there's always going to be a a message, like a linear kind of uh, idea to follow throughout. Uh, you know, and that might be, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be there when you start, but it should be there when you, when you're finished. Mm-hmm. Right. So the whole idea of exploration, you know, I'm starting to go back on the road in at the end of this month, this year, and I'm already like, okay, so I'm writing a whole new hour of material. And you don't know, part of the beauty of it is getting up state on stage and figuring out what goes where and where one thing will lead. And is this an interesting thought or an interesting perspective? Is it even unique? unique. You know, you want to, you want to have your POV be as closely aligned to everything you believe in and then just jump out from there Mm -hmm. and everything should support that. In a way, do you think you, I don't want to say you want, you have to thank Trump, but you, you, you've talked about how he helped you really find and embrace your anger. (laughs) Like the last four years, as terrible as they've been, they've, they've, you know, resulted in some really great art. They have, you know, when Trump got elected, I was so mad. I was just, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work. I couldn't focus on anything. I was on a news, 24 hour news loop. I just couldn't believe, you know, that we were being forced to stare at Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr.'s veneers for the next four years of our lives. I just couldn't believe it. And I had so much anger at our country, you know, like a naive white privileged person. I didn't believe that we could elect someone like that. I didn't even think it was possible for America. Now I know differently, but I had all this rage and anger and I, that was the perfect place to hang it. I was like, you, I'm mad at you, this family, this is what I'm angry at, you know, and I was mad at them and I, I still am, but that anger it was about a lot more than Donald Trump. And it was a lot more about a lot more than I really had any understanding until I went to therapy about, you know, our deep pain and what and how that kind of directs our life. You know, the trauma of me losing my brother at nine, probably, you know, a lot of my life is a reaction to that is a, mm-hmm. a is a reaction to not wanting to be hurt again you know wanting to be independent and fierce and single and you know and in control because that's all i could do was control myself and try never to get hurt like that again and as you get older you know some eventually that that wears itself out you know you can't it doesn't work for you anymore you can't hang, you know, you can't get away with the anger. So sometimes these things work for us for a really long time. And then eventually it knocks you, you know, it knocks you down and makes you take a really deep look at yourself, which is obviously the benefits of that are enormous. Isn't it nice though to wake up now and not like, I I used to, first thing I would do in the morning was check Twitter and get angry. Yeah. And I love that, that things are kind of boring right now. (laughs) 
I haven't seen Rachel Maddow in like six months and I want to keep it that way. I don't want, I, I just love the idea that we all have our grandfather in charge now and that I'm not interested in what he's up to or what he said that day, that I know things are not, you know, obviously we're still, it's still a hot mess, this country, but at least we took steps to move us in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I'm definitely enjoying not hearing the sound of Donald Trump's voice. Because <laughs> I wasn't looking for it, but it would find me. I wasn't, yes, I wasn't will, out That's what it. he's like. He's like a herpesaur. He will find you. <laughs> um, you did your first podcast with iHeartRadio. It was a limited series. And now you're back with dear Chelsea. Um, what do you like about this medium and what made you want to do an advice show? Well, I had a, a deal with iHeart to do another podcast. Uh, they wanted me to continue. And I said, let me just think of a different way to do this. Because we did my, my stand-up tour, or my book tour, which was a limited run. And I wanted to be thoughtful. Um, you know, ever since I've gone to therapy, I don't want to do projects where I'm just cashing a check. I want to be able to make a contribution. It can't just be a vanity project. You know, once in a while, that's fine. But for me, it's really about taking into account, you know, everything that's been handed to me or everything that's been, I've been given more easily than others. So for this, it was a great way to impart everything I've learned during therapy to people. You know, I've read so many health self-help books and I've been asked so many times for advice from strangers, whether it's people DMing me on Instagram or to my real friends in real life, like I'm your strong sister friend, you know, who's going to push you to do the right thing or take a risk or break up with a guy that's not treating you right. You know, those kinds of things. And I thought, oh, what if we did an advice podcast, you know? And then I was like, oh, that's silly. I'm not like a doctor. And then I'm like, yeah, but who cares? I, who gives a shit if I'm a doctor or not? I actually really am interested in people's interpersonal affairs. I'm curious and I do want to help people live their best lives and be a little bit braver, you know, and I am that kind of friend. So why not be that friend to anybody who wants it and anybody who wants advice? So this podcast has been so much fun to do. Um, just giving out advice to real people who are calling in sometimes with silly problems, but sometimes with really heavy shit. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really, I really get a lot out of that. And that was a way for me to make this podcast, not all about me. I really want to ask you for some advice, but I feel like my problems are so basic. That, like, Go ahead. Ask me. Um, well, my, my two issues, you probably get this a lot, you know, um, people probably ask for advice on dating because we're coming out of this pandemic. And I have learned that it's just so lovely to stay at home with my dog. And it's hard to want to get back out there. I feel you. I mean, I just had this conversation with my sister. I was visiting her in San Francisco for the weekend and she was showing me her hinge options. And I was like, this is so sad that this is what's out there. Like, this is, these are your options. And she was just like, but I, you know, I really want, she's like, I don't want anything too serious, but I don't really want and she goes out like once every three months. And I'm like, you got to really add up, you know, ramp up the numbers. If you want better results, you can't go out once every three months. You have to treat it like a job. Uh, but she was having the same issue. She goes, I, uh, it's so much easier to stay home with your dog. I mean, I feel that way too. I'm like, oh, should I go out? Because so, we've all become slightly introverted and more antisocial than we were at the beginning of this. So it is a hard adjustment to make. So I think it's not unnatural that you feel that way. And I think you should just wait until you are in a place where you feel more motivated because as things start to open up and everyone is dating, you will get more motivated. It's just that we're in this kind of like recluse kind of vibe, you know, yeah. where we want to be on our sofas and watch East of Mayor, or Mayor of Easttown or whatever the hell that's called, which I had to watch <laughs> twice yesterday because I didn't understand what the hell was happening. I have to watch it with subtitles and then, then I do okay. <laughs> but I love that show. Love that show. Actually, you know, some, some real advice I would love to ask you. I mean, that was real advice. Thank you. Um, but uh, something I would really like to know that, that I struggle with is um, seeing uh, people who I just like, I don't want, I don't want to be reductive, but seeing bad people succeed. Mm. You know, and like when you can spot someone who is trouble and like maybe your friend group or your work group doesn't see it and you have to put up with this person. Like, mm. I just I wish I believed in karma because I kind of don't. 
Well, you should, because everybody kind of, I believe in karma. I mean, karma is energy. And when, like, the more I learn about energy, energy, just because it's not a measurable thing, people don't take it seriously because you can't see it or define it. It is very true. I mean, think about when, if you're in a bad mood and you try to pretend like you're in a good mood, it's pretty hard. Even, you know, like, I mean, I wear everything on my face. So if I'm in a bad mood, everyone knows, but I've tried that. Like energy is so strong. And when people are, first of all, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have had people in my life who I cannot believe are succeeding or, or operating in the way they're doing and getting away with it. But mm-hmm. I would, instead of worrying about their karma, I would just be more interested. I mean, I think it's a healthier way for all, us all to go through life to minimize your interaction and minimize the time that you're thinking about those people, because it's also not good for your own karma to be worried about somebody else's karma. That's Chelsea Handler. Her stand-up special, Evolution, is streaming right now on HBO Max. And that's it for this bonus edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Danielle Terciano and Jazz Tanke, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.